Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 80, A.C. Grayling, but call him Anthony, never mind his initials. Can the atheist preach a better sermon than the Christian? That's what we ask today. But more importantly first, did you survive the holidays? I know it's hard to get by without Church Ahead in your life, but don't worry, we've got some great episodes coming up in 2024. Getting out is our big theme for this term. Getting outside of church, outside the club, as we look at the future of church from some distance. We're going to look at the relationship with Islam That's an important issue in this part of the world. Round about Easter, we'll look at Jesus getting out of the tomb. And today, we start a non-church crawl, a short walk over three weeks, looking at how people outside of church do things we traditionally think of as our core activities. And I suppose what I'm getting at is, when we look at a secular sermon today, and a non-church wedding next week, do we feel intimidated by the brilliance of atheists and humanists putting on a better show than church? Or do we feel reassured that church simply does things better? You know that Church Ahead is very sensitive to place, so let's set the scene. Most of this non-church crawl of three weeks takes place at the Friends Meeting House, Mount Street, Central Manchester. This wonderful place with its ionic columned facade across the street from the Central Library has been around for nearly 200 years. I've never been to a Quaker act of worship here. But like armies of other people who think of themselves as clever or cultured or morally active, Down the years, I've been to numerous meetings here, from Friends of the Earth to the Wagner Society to endless political party fringe meetings. The place was internally remodelled in the mid-20th century and still has one largish hall with galleries and then several meeting rooms of modest size dotted around. It is for me the gold standard of a religious community using its building for the wider good. What was I there at the Friends Meeting House for? A lecture with the grand title of Proving Atheism by the celebrity atheist philosopher A.C. Grayling, up from London where he runs New College of the Humanities, where you can study atheist philosophy for the bargain price of about 30 grand a year, How much did I pay for the privilege of hearing his lecture? I somehow managed to pay £8 for a face value ticket of £5, which godless intermediary exploited me, I'm not entirely sure, but of all his jibes against the church, many of which were genuinely funny, I thought his mockery of church being after your money was a bit rich. So, did I get my money's worth? I certainly got a fiver of good value for the spectacle of watching the way atheists run their church. Yes, I'm using the words church and sermon lightly. 
they wouldn't like it. They probably think their meeting is the antithesis of all the superstition and irrationality that goes with organised religion, and their lectures are far above the sentimental special pleading of the Christian preacher. But you know me, I can't help comparing everything to church, and there was a lot here to get my comparison synapses flashing away in my brain. I felt I was at church pretty much all evening. In fact, even before the kickoff, we bought our extortionate tickets in December for this event to mark Darwin's February date of birth, and in January we got a bold declamatory email in capital letters. I thought the celebrity atheist must have gone to meet his maker, but no, the message was advising us that the time of the event had now been brought forward half an hour to a 6.15 start. By the time February rolled round, it slipped back to 6.45, and I can tell you that on the night there was no action until after 7pm. So it seems Christians are not the only ones to cock up their events. Of course, the focus on a celebrity philosopher's lecture is on the talk itself. I was interested to see what else they serve up to make a good night out, just as much as the content of their sermon. I wanted to get a sense of what atheists coming together feels like, from the call to worship to the coffee. No, ladies and gentlemen, the audience did not simply walk into a hall, hear a philosophical lecture for an hour, and then march out into the cold darkness of a February night, silently wishing Charles Darwin a happy birthday. There were a couple of warm-up acts, which I fancy showcase some of the rivalry between the alliance of groups promoting the occasion. First up were the Northern Atheists, who were every bit as miserable as their name suggests. They provided a masterclass in how to verbalise a welcome while sounding dismally unwelcoming. Then came the Greater Manchester Humanists, whose spokesman was a bit livelier and thankfully briefer. Both organisations had their banner hoardings up on the stage and had given out clunky A5 flyers, proclaiming slogans like Humanists do not believe in any gods. Humanism is a non-religious worldview. Atheism is our birthright. Why do various assorted clergy still have power and influence? We want freedom from religious interference. But it wasn't just Bolshe religious slogans. Three faces of three celebrity atheists. Stephen Fry, looking better looking and younger than I've ever seen him. Richard Dawkins, of course. And with her professorial title emphasised, Alice Roberts. Holy Trinity, anybody? Perhaps it's not just medieval Christian peasants who need their church to show them the heroes of faith to get them in the mood for a good sermon. So here we are, congregated in a Quaker church, looking at banners making religious assertions and the faces of celebrity atheists, waiting to hear someone famous for his views about God give, well, let's call it a lecture, about why most of the people present can be really certain about their religious worldview, 
to mark the occasion of a saint's day. But this is nothing to do with religion, all right. Oh, no. Religion is what those poor deluded fools in church do. We stand above all that. Hmm. The church was full. The congregation tightly packed, mainly over 50. I wonder where I've seen that demographic before. And they applauded loudly when A.C. Grayling took the pulpit, I mean lecture. What struck me was his helmet of neatly combed long silver hair. The laity was scruffy, but the high priest of atheism was nicely robed in a dark three-piece suit with an open-necked white shirt. Perhaps he's a high church atheist who believes in vestments. After all the delay and cock-up, I suspect the applause was really out of relief. Relief that he's actually here. And perhaps relief that we don't have to hear any more from those northern atheists. So, what about the talk? Was it any good? It was a very enjoyable sermon. Last term, our preaching series emphasised the role stories play in good preaching. And Grayling had some really good stories. Try this one. A French duke is entertaining his guests at a party at his chateau. His guest of honour is the local cardinal. Now, the duke has to pop out of the room to fiddle with some chateau de Pomfite, and whilst he's gone... The cardinal entertains the guests, and one of them asks him, what's it like to hear somebody's confession? And he says, well, it can be terrible. I'll never forget the first confession I ever heard as a young curé. It was a notorious criminal who murdered many people in the most vile way imaginable. And just as he finishes the story, the duke comes back into the room taps the cardinal on the shoulder and tells the guest, we go back a long way. In fact, I was the very first person he ever received in the confessional. He told several stories like this, and what they all had in common was how ridiculous the church is. Now, I don't mind, because yes, we are a funny lot, and yes, we often deserve to be laughed at. What I couldn't help noticing is that he didn't seem to have any sense that atheists are also funny. There was no self-deprecating humour from him of the time that you often of the type you often get from a Christian preacher. I felt there was no self-awareness, and he relied heavily on the impression created by these stories to build his argument. So I don't think I'm pushing it too far to call him a preacher. The structure of the talk was threefold. Where have I seen that before? He gave us a bit of a philosophy primer on knowledge, truth and proof. His main point was that rational people weigh evidence and pay careful attention to the proportion of the amount of evidence. Fair enough. His vocabulary is rich and I like the way he challenges us to be really careful about the way we express ourselves. But Christian preachers, it seems, are not the only ones to take no notice of their own rules. He did not really build an evidence-based case for proving atheism. His schoolboy epistemology lesson did not get him very far. Like a good preacher, he relied heavily on the emotional impact 
of stories and illustrations. I liked his analogy that atheism is not really a thing you have to get excited about, any more than someone who does not collect stamps is going to be animated by a stamp collector calling them an A-stamper. He set himself a clear goal, proving atheism. So how successful was he in his own terms in establishing his proof? Did he prove atheism? No, not on your Nelly. Nowhere near proving anything. I don't think he got a tenth of the way to offering knockdown proof. I think he made two major mistakes. Number one, he set the bar of ambition impossibly high. Showing atheism is a force to be reckoned with might have been a more realistic ambition. Proving how silly we religious people are, yes, he got some way with that. But as for his stated aim, I would say that he only just about got to a definition of atheism, but never got anywhere close to proving it. Number two, his view of theism was far too narrow. Whilst we did eventually get to a definition of atheism, he never gave us a satisfactory working definition of theism. Anecdotes about raising his daughter to talk about gods and goddesses rather than accept the deferential ecclesiastical term God with an uppercase singularity. Sat in the friend's meeting house looking at the trinity of celebrity atheist faces. I couldn't help wondering whether his Richard Dawkins level of religious illiteracy could benefit from a bit of curiosity about the building he was speaking in and the beliefs of the people whose hospitality he was taking for granted. Does he really think that those Quakers meeting in that building would recognise their God in his talk about gods and goddesses and fairies and the supernatural all rolled into one? In a sense, he was cheating, trying to establish the rejection of theism by taking for granted such an impoverished limited and literal view of God. With regard to proving his point, he would have been more successful had he set the bar lower. With his approach to theism, he'd have been more convincing if he'd set the bar higher and shown some real insight into that which he was trying to debunk. After 40 minutes, he stopped, about the same length as you'd get in a big evangelical preaching church. Was I the only person in the room not applauding loudly? This church loved this preacher. There was a question of an answer session and there were some interesting comments from him against the ontological argument. But the most memorable question came from a 40-something woman in the gallery asking, what would he say to her evangelical Christian family who are equally sure of their beliefs. Yes, brothers and sisters, we were in a religious environment all evening. As we brushed past the celebrity atheist preacher signing copies of his book in the entrance hall, I was sure of one thing. I had spent the whole evening at an atheist church. So, we're on a three-week non-church crawl 
and were walking around pondering which is better, church or non-church. This week, who has the better preacher, us or them? My verdict is that A.C. Grayling is a good preacher. I rate him better than many Christian preachers, but he's no match for our best. He couldn't hold a candle to John Stott. And on the lookout for something superb to intimidate me, there was just one thing about him that really impressed me. As a baldy, I felt completely intimidated by his strong, robust head of hair. But not so much his philosophy or his preaching. Thank you for listening to episode 80. Next week, Cousin Michael's getting married. Will his hotel wedding be good as a church one?